Welcome back to Missing. I am Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic today, Tim. I hope everybody out there is doing as well as I am. And I'm very interested to know if you are doing as well as I am, Tim. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for asking. And I'm excited to introduce this conversation that we had with former law enforcement, former NYPD sergeant, actually. His name is John Fariso. He used to work in the NYPD's missing person unit, which uh, is sort of endlessly fascinating to me. Um, But he is now a private investigator who donates his time for private investigations for the missing. And you can find out more information about them at investigationsforthemissing.org. Lance, he's taken on the case of Jacob Michael Oliver, who has been missing since August 24th, 2011 from Homestead, Florida. At the time of his disappearance, he was 23 years old, 5 foot 6 inches, 130 pounds, Caucasian male, black hair, green eyes. And if you have any information, you can contact the Everglades National Park Service at 305-242-7740. And this is part two of our coverage of Jacob Oliver's disappearance. We spoke with his mom, Lori, a couple months ago, I think right before Christmas. But in this conversation, Lance... John kind of tells us that he has taken the investigation into Jacob's disappearance about as far as he can go. He actually needs help, and he's kind of putting the call out to other investigators, um, anyone in Florida who might be available. You could certainly reach out to PIs for the missing and get in touch with John Fariso that way. It's always interesting, and I feel like I say it all the time, but I love getting that peek behind the curtain regarding the inner workings of private investigations for the missing, to know that someone who is as experienced as John can take something so far. And it just goes to show you how difficult this is, even when you're not part of a law agency and you have other cases coming at you. He took it as far as he could, dedicating and donating as much of his time as possible. And we are always raising money for private investigations for the missing. So if you have any spare change at all and you'd like to donate to a great cause, you can do so. And you can find more information at investigationsforthemissing.org. And Tim, if listeners wanted to enjoy this episode without the ads, where would they go to do so? Well, Lance, our listeners can find Missing Premium right there on Apple Podcasts, right in their app. They can subscribe. Or if you're not an Apple user, you can go to missing.supportingcast.fm and subscribe that way. It is $4.99 a month. You'll get early releases. You'll get everything ad-free and our weekly bonus show, which people love. And for anybody who doesn't follow us on social media, Tim, maybe they're just confused as to where to go. Can you give them a little nudge in the right direction? Oh, great point. Yeah, folks can follow us on social media, on TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can follow us at MissingCSM. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. We're going to break quick for commercial here, and we'll be right back with John Fariso. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it... a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Kickoff for Super Bowl 34. The Titans-Rams 2000 Super Bowl, an instant classic. Hours after the game, two men were stabbed in the street, accused of being in the middle, the greatest linebacker in NFL history. Ray Lewis and two friends are charged with murder. The nation's eyes were glued to their televisions. The trial concluded and the verdicts came back, not guilty. 
What you can learn from all this is that big cases make for big mistakes. Look what happened in O.J. Simpson. And look what happened in Ray Lewis. Lewis went on to have a Hall of Fame career, but questions around that night in Atlanta still remain. So what do you think they're hiding? They know what happened. They know exactly what happened. After 20 years, it's time to get to the bottom line truth. From Tenderfoot TV, I'm Tim Livingston, and this is The Raven. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For ad-free listening and early access, subscribe to Tenderfoot Plus on tenderfootplus.com. John Farisa, welcome back to the podcast. How are you tonight? Great, guys. Thanks for having me back. It's always good to have some of the investigators, some of the former law enforcement, the people that have donated their time to work with us and the nonprofit Private Investigations for the Missing. So we always love to have you folks back on, talk about some case updates, maybe, you know, Anything new that's going on in in the uh, the the life of, of you as an investigator and, and working with the nonprofit, and we can't thank you enough for that. And we just want to let you know that we had a fundraiser that you're aware of uh, a couple yep. of nights ago, and we wanted to raise a certain amount of money, five thousand dollars, for the nonprofit by National Missing Persons Day, which was February third, and we did. We 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 raised the money, and it's such a great like bit of momentum going into 2023 knowing that people like yourself and then the public out there are contributing to this because they understand what the greater good is thank you i appreciate it uh, very much i'm a firm believer people should contribute contribute what they can whether it's financially supporting what you're doing or volunteering if they have the skills to do it i feel it's important for people to to contribute in that way we know now that you volunteer your time with PIs for the Missing, or some of your your time. Yes. How have you gotten to this point uh, in your life? Um, what is your background? I, I heard a rumor that you were a uh, NYPD detective. Yes. Uh, technically not a detective. I was a sergeant in the detective bureau, which means I skipped over the rank of detective because I was a sergeant on patrol. And... I rerouted from patrol to internal affairs where I was a sergeant. So I was a sergeant within internal affairs. I was assigned detectives there. So when I left internal affairs, I went to the missing person squad. So technically I was never a detective, but I was a supervisor of detectives. But I've done their work. I feel like anyone listening is going to immediately ask the question to themselves. How does one skip over that? Uh, It's very hard to do it. I only met two other people who did it the way I did basically was I went for an interview within the police department and certain interviews, you agree that anyone could take you that wants you out of this group. So I was willing to accept that because I was willing to move on to be an investigator. So I got accepted by internal affairs. So I went to internal affairs. I was already a sergeant. There was detectives within internal affairs. After two years internal affairs, I went to the detective bureau missing person squad. So I skipped over the rank of detective because first you're a police officer, then you make detective. I went from police officer to sergeant. Different police departments do it differently, but uh, some police departments have detective sergeants. They have a different rank. We don't have that. So I was a supervisor of detective. So I outranked a detective basically. So it's kind of like you were drafted by internal affairs and then traded to the missing persons unit? Well, uh, after two years, your contract with them ends. And oh, so you were a free agent. Yeah, I was a free agent. So I wanted to be an investigator and I had already done the investigations, but I, I always wanted to be in the detective bureau and I wanted to be a detective. But like I said, I went a different route. So that was my way into the detective bureau. So I was one of the few that there are others, but I was one of the few that went that route. Very cool. The missing person's unit just seems like uh like a place i'd like to visit i've seen some videos of it It seems really really interesting um obviously the work we do i think um you know it it would be very interesting to uh to walk through those doors um have you been to that unit recently no i recently retired 10 years ago i talked to them on the phone just recently i'm for my private investigating company i had a case that I had to contact them because it was a case in Queens. So I reached back out to them to get the ball rolling on where to start. So I'm retired. They, there's a lot of information they can't give me, even though I work there and 
I could still walk in there and supervise those cases. They, I'm, I'm a civilian now, so they, there's a lot of information they can't give me. So I might just call up and say, is this case active? And they'll say, yeah, it's active. Okay, is it, give me the case number. So from the case number, I could narrow it down to the borough, go to the borough and speak to the detectives there, the borough as in borough, Queens, Brooklyn. And then I could get the area where the case is being investigated. So if it's Jackson Heights, Queens, I know that, okay, the person I'm looking for is in Jackson Heights, Queens. So it's my own way of of navigating through that. I think what Tim was really asking is if he can or if we can sit in with you while you do this. <laughs> no pressure there. Um, you know, if you wanted to go into an actual precinct and see how it works or a detective bureau, see how it works, you would have to go through a lot of red tape within that department. I doubt the NYPD would allow it. Uh, other departments, if you try you might get in and you'll definitely you would call it something similar to a ride along. If you've ever heard of a ride along. Yes. It would be something civil similar to a ride along. I mean, you guys have the credentials because of all your followers and you've already shown that you're willing to do the legwork and you're willing to you. You have such an interest in it and people are interested in what you're saying. So you guys know a lot about missing persons for someone who never did that type of work. So, I mean, that would definitely help you guys. But I'm basically giving you all the information right now anyway. True. I feel like if I <laughs> yeah. ever did that, I would go in like straight as an arrow, following the rules. And at the end of the day, I'd be a crooked cop. I'd be stealing <laughs> cocaine from the locker rooms. Bad lieutenant. <laughs> yeah, I'd, be, I'd be bad lieutenant by the Turn time I'm out. Harvey Keitel Harvey in Keitel. an afternoon. Okay, John. So um, you wanted to speak about the, the disappearance of Jacob Michael Oliver. And uh, we spoke with his mom, Lori, um, about two months ago or so um, on the Missing Podcast. And uh, this is a, uh, a young kid who was, he was 23 years old when he went missing from Homestead, Florida in uh, August of 2011. Yeah, I got the case, obviously, for private investigation, investigators to the missing. So I started out by calling the mother, the biological mother, and uh, she had limited information. So... I had sent you today because I remembered I listened to the podcast that you had the mother on. I sent you today some new photos of him because the mother was correct that the photo that is they have of him, I don't think is the best description. So it's important yeah. that we recent photo of him because I don't believe he always looked like that. And if he did, just because he cut his hair like that in the very end of when he people knew where he was doesn't mean that should be the photo always shown. So we'll get the new photo out there. Like we'll start with that. And then I spoke with the mother and obviously she was an upset mother and he had went from Texas to Florida. And I interviewed a, a girlfriend in, in Texas that he was with. Um, and she did not have the information on why he went missing, but she did know he went to Florida. There is a girlfriend in Florida that hasn't been located yet. So Jacob's time in Florida, it's a little mysterious what he was doing there and why he was there. He does live in Texas. So he drove to Florida. And at one point he was in Daytona beach, a receipt was found in his car. And then he drove at one point to the Everglades, Florida, where unfortunately that's where his car was located. So this is 2011 video surveillance is not what it is now. So we can't tell, I haven't seen the video. I have spoken to the, the investigators in Florida, but ironically the investigators in Florida are not technically police. They're, park police which means that they have the national parks which is where the everglades is so his car was parked the mother told me 20 to 30 feet from the lake uh and i've worked many cases that unfortunately that's how a suicide happens so that's the angle and this is my opinion that it needs to be looked at which is is his body still in that lake after all this time it seems to me Jacob's disappearance and the time leading up to it is is a little um, a little confusing. Can you uh, take us through his timeline? Is is there a travel uh, timeline that you have? Yeah, I'm I'm only getting this from secondhand, so I don't even know if the mother is exactly sure. I don't want to quote her exactly on these times, but August of 2011, it seems that he drove his car from. Texas to Daytona Beach, Florida. I don't have the exact date when the call was located. I believe it was two to three weeks. 
like somewhere within there. So there's a time, two to three weeks that a lot was going on, obviously. He went to visit two girlfriends, ex-girlfriends. He took a firearm with him. We know this because it was a 40 caliber and the holster, which I find very interesting. The holster was found in the vehicle, but that leads me back to the suicide. And so if any foul play did happen, it would have happened between those two to three weeks where he got involved in the wrong people. But from what I spoke with the mother and I spoke with the investigators in Florida, I no one has said that to me about foul play. I'm not saying that didn't happen. I would have to speak to further people. But as of now, I'm still investigating this as a suicide because the cars parked near the lake, driving from one state to the other to visit some ex-girlfriends. I mean, doesn't always mean suicide, but when he goes missing afterwards, there's a possibility of that. And I believe he, he took the firearm with him. The reason I'm bringing up the lake is because I think that if he wasn't in the lake, his body would have been located by now. So I don't know the lakes in the Everglades, but I can only imagine how murky they are and everything else going on with that. So professional divers need to look at that. I've spoken with the investigators in Florida, the park police. They said a search was done of the lake, but they don't know what search because this is common in missing person cases. By the time a case goes cold, the investigators who had that have gone on to do way other things and they're hard to keep track with and find. And two of the investigators are deceased that had the case. So by the time the, the man has it now, the, the worker in the park has it now, he doesn't even know who to speak to. He has the reports. So it's definitely a cold case. We don't know to the extent of the lake search. It could have been just, you know, the immediate area. It could have been a small boat. Did they dredge the lake? I doubt it. Um, but did they go in there with divers? I didn't see any, any reports on it or nobody told me that divers were in that lake. And kind of on a side, did you do any research or did any of your research lead you to looking into how many people go missing in the Everglades? Is this a common thing? Now, I didn't look directly into the Everglades, but national parks are, are common for missing suicides or on unaccounted for disappearances. I mean, there's a lot of information on that. Yeah. And uh, how big is that lake that he was parked near? I've Googled it. It, it looks large i'm not i'm not saying it's one of the bigger ones for the everglades they described it as canals lead into it so it, it holds the water from canals and water leads out of it so it's a it's a natural it's not a natural it's a man-made lake in within the everglades and how can we be sure that it was jacob who drove the truck in there and not somebody else we're not so but the best we could come up with is that surveillance only shows a car driving in there was no video at the actual lake so we're going with that he drove that car there but there is no that i have no information on that somebody else was driving his car but that's not to say that uh, other people can be spoke to that'll say something different now if the ex-girlfriend is contacted or jacob's other family members and they say something different then that angle needs to be looked at if they're going to say that somebody else was driving his car, then that person needs to be looked at. Why are you with his car? Now, it could have been the car could have been left there and somebody could have left and left the lake or left the national park. But, I mean, I didn't speak with the investigators. I'm sure they would have had video surveillance of a person leaving. Right. Yeah, I, I was curious if there was another car maybe that entered the park with uh, Jacob's car, the uh, Isuzu. They said no, but... The firearm is, let's not forget the firearm. That's a piece of this puzzle. Was a firearm found in the area two years later? Uh, I don't, I've asked that question. Somebody needs to look into that. An investigator in Florida needs to look into, was there a firearm found in, in the Everglades? Did someone find a firearm in the Everglades? I mean, it could have been in the water. So, and not only that, a Florida investigator needs to look into the serial number of the firearm. Was it sold? He could have sold it, and that's why the holster was in the car and not the firearm. Yeah, totally. That firearm could be found in the lake before his body is. And he was the owner of the firearm? Yeah, if you purchase in Texas, there there has to be some record of it somewhere. And did you just use uh, two years later as like an arbitrary time frame? The two years in, in for what? Oh, if somebody oh you found said if someone found a gun two years later. You, was that just sort of a hypothetical? Well, 
No, I just threw that out as hypothetical. The reason I'm saying that is because if he committed suicide with the firearm in the area and that gun ended up in some crevice under a rock, you know, it could take two years before somebody comes by it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's not uncommon uh, for uh, <laughs> evidence for a crime to be found later. People don't necessarily walk through Everglades looking for things on the floor. I know I wouldn't. No, I'm probably keeping my eyes peeled for alligators. That's what I was thinking at. I don't think that's the type of place where someone goes in with a metal detector. Right. And do you think that's a possibility? An alligator? Well, I thought of that. Of course I did, yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying on accident. I'm saying after the fact. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that has to that has to be thought of, but that's where the firearm comes back, and that could be stolen the lake. What do you know about his phone and uh, any phone pings in that area? It was pinged there. His phone was pinged and his GPS was pinged there because the, one of the ex-girlfriends got contacted. It was pinged in that Daytona Beach and it was pinged in that direct area. But his phone, there was nothing after that. Okay. I was going to ask about Daytona Beach as well. So um, I understand there was a receipt found in his vehicle uh, for a hotel in Daytona Beach. Yes, there was a receipt. Now, there's a possibility that this case was also investigated by the Daytona Beach police or the Miami police because, yes, it happened in the nat- National Park, but there is still police around that that have jurisdiction. So I don't know how Florida works. Uh, I know how the MP- NYPD would do it, but I don't know if Florida said, okay, Park Police, this is your case, or the Park Police helped the Miami-Dade police. That's where an, a Florida investigator needs to look at. Because Florida investigators might have a little more information on their cold. They may have a cold case on this and a little more information. And not only that, we have to find out if he was investigated in Texas, because technically he lived in Texas. He did not live in Florida. So at one point, Texas investigators got a phone call on this from Florida. And what would be the typical response from law enforcement in Texas? I could speak from my experience. They're going to go to his residence and see if he's there. Obviously, if they go to the residence and, you know, the carpet is all redone and they're cleaning the floors, so there's a problem. So they're going to look around the house. They're going to talk to family members. There's not going to be not a major investigation because they already know he's not there. But they will go to his direct place where he lived. And then they're going to then they're going to take the case. Whether Texas takes the case or Florida, it's going to be Florida because but they are going to go to his residence. So something something was done back in 2011. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Sometime in the early 80s, REO Speedwagon's airplane made an unannounced middle-of-the-night landing. This is my friend Kyle McLaughlin, the star of Twin Peaks. And he's telling me about how he discovered a real-life Twin Peaks in rural North Carolina, not far from where he filmed Blue Velvet. What was on the plane was copious amounts of drugs coming in from South America. Supposedly, Pablo Escobar went looking for other spots, quiet, out-of-the-way places to bring in his cocaine. My name is Joshua Davis, and I'm an investigative reporter. Kyle and I talk all the time about the strange things we come across, but nothing was quite as strange as what we found in Varnumtown, North Carolina. There's crooked cops, brother against brother. Everyone's got a story to tell, but does the truth even exist? Welcome to Varnumtown. Varnumtown is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Okay, and um, when you have been looking into the case, did you, who, who did you speak with from uh, from his family and, uh, and friends? I spoke with the mother, and... 
I spoke with one ex-girlfriend. The ex-girlfriend said that he came to see her in Texas and he left. Uh, the mother said that she hadn't lived with him for years. So I didn't really elaborate on the family dynamics, but she didn't live with him. So Lori Durham. So I spoke with Lori and he had left live. I don't know when the last time he saw her, but he had, she knew he went to Florida. So she was in contact with him. The girlfriend knew he went because he left there. There was another girlfriend in Daytona beach that he saw. I don't know the circumstances. If he lived with her, if she was in the hotel, but they know that she saw the girlfriend in Texas. I never got in touch with the girlfriend. I mean, in Florida, the girlfriend of Florida needs to be interviewed. So the only connection between him and Florida is another girlfriend. Yes. There's another girlfriend in Florida. And then the connection is the fact that he parked his car at a lake. Yeah. So he's got no other friends or family in Florida. The, the one reason why he'd go there is for this girlfriend. That's what my investigation came up with. The one girlfriend in Florida. There was no other connections that we know of. How did he meet this new girlfriend? Do you know? You know, I, that question I really didn't ask because I, I thought I was going to speak to her and I wasn't able to get her. Con she has a very common name. So whoever takes this case has to do some some deep dive into finding this girl. She has a, a very common last name. OK. And just one more thing on the on the girlfriend and the ex-girlfriend. The ex, were they still friendly? It sounds like they were probably still friendly if he had visited her before leaving. And she knew that he was going to see the new girlfriend. Uh, yes, this girl did know that. Uh, I, I I got that out of the interview. The, the girlfriend in Texas told me he never spoke of suicide. But the girlfriend, he did tell. So she had spoken to the girlfriend of Florida at one point because she said the girlfriend of Florida said that he had said he wanted to commit suicide. Yeah, so that's the only mentions that I know of. But I'm hearing this from someone who heard it from somebody else. Right, okay. And the girlfriend that you did speak with in Texas uh, didn't say anything about um, him uh, being in spirits like that? She says that he said he was going to get his life back together. Really? Because I asked that directly. Wow, that's that's interesting. When the ex-girlfriend told you that she had talked to the new girlfriend, did she say how she had communicated with her? Was it like text messages or Facebook or something? You know, as as an investigator, I don't dig too deep into family dynamics and uh, the relationships like that. And if it's not 100 percent pertaining to the case, I don't I don't dig into it because when I start to ask those questions, I go down a different alley. So I just said, OK, you spoke to her. If they elaborate to me, well, listen, I'm in contact with the ex-girlfriend because we're concerned for safety. None of them said that. So I didn't feel that that question was needed to be asked. Another investigator might totally do it that way. That's just not how I operate my, my investigations. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Way back, you had told us that when you're looking into a missing person, you said to follow the vice. And typically when you follow the vice, that will lead you maybe not to the actual solution, but it'll lead you to what caused the disappearance. And I'm wondering what vice it is in this, in, in Jacob's story that you'd be following. Yes, uh, I asked that directly. I didn't get a whole lot of information on drug use. I got a minor arrest when he was a juvenile, which they didn't, the mother didn't elaborate on. So I didn't really ask a minor arrest when he was a juvenile. There is, it seems that there was some drug use, but I can't um, specifically say what it was and what he was doing. Cause I asked the question. I didn't get the answer. And I'm going with the one suicide comment. And I'm going with the fact that he saw two ex-girlfriends in a very short period of time and made a long trip across the country. And the fact that he's parked at the lake, but that's where I came up with the, the, the suicide angle. But his case was not one where I could say that there's been years of drug use. There's been years of commit of mental issues about suicide. He didn't have any of that. That's where I'm going with that angle. It's not as cut and dry his case as others. Yeah. Is, have you found it common for people who are suicidal to um, sort of go back and forth? The, the conversations they had with him were in the past. They ju He just saw them within a two-week period. Do you know when the comment about him committing suicide uh, was? How, how long before his disappearance was that? It had to be when he was with the ex-girlfriend in Florida, which um, until I speak to her, I don't, I don't have an answer on that. So he made that comment to the girlfriend in Florida, and that was communicated to you by the ex-girlfriend. So the ex-girlfriend had spoken to the current girlfriend after he had visited her in Florida. These comments were made in the past, but these comments were made about 
uh, suicide and wanting to get the life back together. That was made prior to him leaving. Right. Okay. People in these situations, they, their personalities might go up and down a lot. So that's why one person might say one thing and someone else might say something else. Not uncommon. Someone at work tells you the guy's the greatest worker we ever had. And his family's like, we don't know why he just walked out the door. Something's wrong or vice versa. That's not to have two people tell a very different story. Um, what about uh, medication? Was Jacob on medication? And uh, I thought I, I thought Lori said there was um, some pill bottles found in his car. Is that correct? There was something found in his car. I don't believe he had a subscription for it. I, I don't know exactly what it was. But they don't. The mother didn't say he that she knows of him being on any type of medication, because I don't believe he was living with her at that in 2011. That's where if other families are spoken to, they'll have that answer. Right. And he and Jacob was in a, a rehab facility at, at one point. Uh, was that in 2011? Do you know? It was prior to that. He, he it was prior. And then later on, he he was had a job in Texas. So he had cleaned himself up for a while. So if, if Jacob had a long life of drugs, it wasn't told to me by the mother. And doesn't seem to be immediately obvious. You know, it doesn't really seem to be a part of his disappearance uh, unless there's there's a big piece that we're missing about uh, how he went missing, I would say. Oh, I believe there's a big piece. That's what somebody needs to figure out. Somebody needs to figure out uh, that time frame of, of two to three weeks is really what happened and why he was in Florida. You yourself have uh, are familiar with uh having a having a sidearm having a weapon right if you needed to take your gun if you planned on taking your gun somewhere with you and you had a holster what is the reasoning for taking it out why wouldn't you just leave it in there and have it on your side the way most like you should like what have you have you thought about like what that moment is like for him yeah i did think that because i've never seen that ever happen in all my years of law enforcement um, I've thought of that scenario. Now, when I mention why he may have done it, it's going to take away the suicide angle. But the only thing I could think of is that he was hiding it, which means that if you got it on your holster, whoever you're meeting is going to know it's on a holster. If it's hidden in your pocket, no one's going to see it. I thought that, but it's a 40 caliber. That's a big firearm. So a lot of that doesn't make sense. Or it could have been the holster could have been left there as a clue on where I am. I committed suicide. I thought of that too. In, in a strange way, not a suicide note, but it's like almost like you take a picture of someone and you put it on your dashboard. I committed suicide because of this person. I think the best angle is that firearm was sold and he only had the holster. He, if he sold that firearm, he could have sold it to on the street or he could have sold it in a some type of store. Unless they ask for that holster, it's not part of the sale. Well, why wouldn't he just sell the holster with it? I don't know. I don't. That's that was one of my scenarios. Is because it's not. It's very uncommon to have a holster without a gun. It doesn't make any sense. You're correct. Yeah. So, I think out of those scenarios I just gave you, I I can't think of any reason why that would happen. Uh, it is odd. Yes. It's super odd. I was thinking holster. Okay, so he had a gun. He if it was suicide, he used the gun. But if he's where's his body at that point? If his body's in the water. How did it? How did that happen? Did he swim out to the middle of the lake and shoot himself? And but why wouldn't he keep the uh, gun in the holster if he planned on swimming? You know why is he holding the gun? Like it's such a seemingly small detail that becomes bigger and bigger and bigger the more you think about it. That's why I said if I say that he hid in his pocket, you're talking about something else. Now I wouldn't put it past some people if for whatever on the very low ends of society <laughs> to steal a firearm from a dead body. So that, that is, that is a possibility that the firearm was found where his body was and the firearm was taken. I wouldn't, uh, I, I, there wouldn't to be too surprised me if something like that happened and that firearm could be used in a crime somewhere else. A firearm's worth a lot of money on the street. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I yeah, mean, but it, again, we're like trying to deduce the like if he was suicidal and depressed, we're trying to figure out the behavior patterns based on our rational mindset. You know, why would you do that? I was I've never been in the situation where I was depressed and talking about suicide and I had a gun in a holster and suddenly I make a rational decision to keep it in the holster when I go out to kill myself. Like I could totally see somebody in his mental state, in his emotional state, taking the gun out and just, you know, not even thinking about like the reasoning why. 
Sure. Well, yeah. Or we could say it was stolen out of his car two days prior and he just had the holster. There's a lot of scenarios there. That firearm could be circulating with some bad people. You never know. And and how easy is it to, then to search, like, so to track uh, the serial number, I guess, you could make some kind of call to Texas and then they, you could sort of cross-reference that through Florida law enforcement to see if it's been found or I guess maybe na- nationwide if, if that serial number gun had turned up somewhere? Well, they have a registry for a firearm if it's been used in a crime. Uh, if it's I'm talking using a crime as in it's been located, which is a rarity, but if it's been sold, you know, if it's been turned in, if it was, it could have been found in the street, somebody turned it in and it's sitting in an evidence locker somewhere that that fight, there's a more of a chance of finding the firearm than his body. Let's put it that way. It's like a license plate or a VIN number on a car, more of a chance of that turning up. But it's possible that it has turned up, right? If, if, if we don't, uh, we don't even know what the serial number is, right? Well, there was a sale of this firearm. It was purchased in Texas. So there's a record Mm -hmm. somewhere in Texas of him purchasing it. Right. Okay. You know, the family can reopen this case through investigators or a private investigator could take this case and possibly find that information with some, some deep diving, digging, some sleuthing. It could be, it could be located. This would be similar where if a car was missing. You would look for the VIN number where the car ended up or where the plates ended up. There's a similar situation to that because all guns have serial numbers. And what if the gun is located? Well, you know, you got a, a new tip. That's the best you have. You know, did he sell it? He was looking for money. Did uh, he sell it for drugs? You know, we're going, this is a cold case now. So it's getting much more difficult. This, if this happened a month ago, we would have a much better chance of this. But we're going on 2011. So it could lead you in a direction. Yeah, definitely could. But it doesn't, uh, it's not going to solve the case. I doubt it. No. And do you happen to know what happened to the vehicle after it was discovered? And is it still impounded somewhere, maybe? I believe the vehicle was returned to the father. I'm correct. Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So, okay, I remember we also spoke about whether it was processed for any forensic evidence. What's the story on that? You got to remember a missing person case, and I'm talking from experience, is not handled like a serious crime. Right. It's not. They don't find the suicide note. They don't find blood in that car. If they don't find evidence of something, most departments are not going to do that. There's a lot of crimes going out there for a missing person case, unless it's an abduction or, you know, this this probably was looked at like an apparent suicide. Uh, they're not going to do any any real. There's no crime scene going on that car, and there's no need to. There really isn't. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to say because we think that way as well, and we know the majority of people who listen to the show and to you know the majority of people who follow true crime will automatically go to, well, why wasn't the truck processed? Why wasn't the vehicle processed? And to just hear the hard reality of like, well, there wasn't a crime scene. I know that there's a missing person and a gun or the indication that there might've been a gun because it was a holster. I know that feels like to a non-law enforcement person, this is a crime scene, but there's no blood. There's not there's not a significant amount of damage to the to the vehicle, you know, where it looks like maybe like bullet holes or something. Yeah. So what you got is an adult that isn't around. Yeah. This is where the amateur sleuths come in. And I say amateur sleuths as in people who blog and make text messages and send them out. And they have all these answers of what why this wasn't done and what's supposed to be done. But they need to be realistic is that you know, crime, there are serious crimes happening out there and the police departments are understaffed and they do not have all day long to do these things. And if you did a crime scene for every situation like that, there's a lot of really important crime scenes that wouldn't get done. Because if they put in a crime scene on a car at a lake in this situation, I'm sure there was another part in Florida that had a a legitimate crime scene going on at that moment. People want the, the police departments to change their way Somebody maybe can get that done. But as of now, that that's not a major missing persons are not a major concern in police departments unless it's an abduction. It's not police departments do not put their missing person cases at the, the top of the crimes they investigate. It's investigated, but it's not at the top. And I know media, movies and stuff, they always have the missing person cases as these big extravagant cases with all these investigators. That's really not what's happening. And that's part of the reason we are doing what we're doing is because there are cold cases that the investigators have moved on to do active cases. And unless a new tip or a new lead comes in, there's nothing new. So a cold case sits there until something new comes in. 
Most cold cases, people are not knocking on the doors every day. They're waiting for someone to contact them with new information, which is what I'm trying to bring out now is there might be some new information that somebody could come forward with. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Rex Sherman is a demon that walks among us, a predator that ruined families. The Lisk, Long Island serial killer podcast, was shocked when the news broke of Rex Hewerman's arrest. After more than a decade of searching, law enforcement officials had finally pieced together enough evidence to bring formal charges against Rex Hewerman. Initially charged with three murders, Hewerman is now officially charged with all four deaths in the Gilgo 4 case. I'm your host, Chris Moss, and the Lisk podcast will be releasing new episodes with interviews and fresh insight on the case as Rex Hewerman awaits trial in Long Island. While we are relieved by the arrest, the List podcast team will be working hard to share new developments and perspectives as we get them. So please keep your eyes and ears out for new episodes, and if you haven't already, please listen to seasons one and two of Lisk, Long Island Serial Killer, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the I Can't Sleep podcast with Benjamin Boster. If you're tired of sleepless nights... You'll love the I Can't Sleep podcast. I help quiet your mind by reading random articles from across the web to bore you to sleep with my soothing voice. Each episode provides enough interesting content to hold your attention, and then your mind lets you drift off. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's I Can't Sleep with Benjamin Boster. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Okay, so Jacob's car uh, is, is not a car being found like that that probably would have been fingerprinted um, and that those fingerprints probably wouldn't wouldn't be... Too useful, I guess. When would uh, fingerprints become useful in uh, in a missing persons case? It would be an abduction case, like where you know it's an abduction. It would be a young child case. It would be one where you strongly feel a homicide has happened. And just put simply, it, there would have to be more uh, at Jacob's uh, disappearance site to indicate that there was a crime. Yeah, there would have to be more. What are some of those like uh, earmarks for it being an obvious crime scene? Because when I referenced it before, I fell into the trap of saying like a bunch of blood, bullet holes. Like is is it really that or is there is there something else that you'd be looking for? It's definitely that what you just described. It's also the age of the victim. If it's a young child, they're going to take that seriously. And if there's a car with a young child, if there's even a chance a young, that a young child is missing and there's a car that was seen and that car's parked, that car's going to be a crime scene. Someone mentions a yellow truck and a yellow truck is seen parked in a parking lot. They're going to do a crime scene on that yellow truck. That's the way it's going to be. But that's an extreme case. I'm going back to the even out of adult deduction, anything like that. But the whole time I was in missing person squad, I never did a crime scene or went, went to a crime scene or know of a crime scene done on a car. And I was in there five years. Wow. I'm not saying it didn't happen. So the cars might get impounded and put into a lot um, or, or something or, or potentially return to their to their i guess next of kin or, or their parents or something but uh but they wouldn't necessarily be fingerprinted or you know D dna searched for trace evidence like that stuff doesn't happen in missing persons cases often oh you mentioned dna that's going to be done even less that's going to be even a bigger <laughs> you need even more to get that done i'm not saying you guys are doing this but quite often people confuse what's done in the movies with what's done in real reality you want to know what's done in reality, you have to talk to an officer, which is what I'm saying right now. What about uh, a third party coming in, like a, a an organization that works with DNA, has a proven track record? 
would they have to be invited in or would they have to approach the police department or is it sort of a little a column A, column B? Well, let's assume that this car is with Jacob's family. So they could, the family could do whatever they want with it. If they want to have an outside agency look into the, the vehicle, that could be done. Yes. Uh, because if, if the car, from what I was told is with the family, then the police department has, they have no rights to that vehicle at this time. So they can, they can have the family can agree to that and whatever results are obtained, they can be presented back to the police. They can present it to a district attorney. They can present it to another investigator. But I think you also said if it's still in the impounds. Now, if a car is in an impound, if it's not done through law enforcement, I don't know how you would get a private organization to do it. You'd have to really do a lot of work to get speak to the right people and get the right requests done. You might even you might even go see a judge. That's how much because you're you're you have a dual investigation at that point. I've never heard of I'm not saying I never heard of it happening. I've seen it happen, but it was with the approval of the department. And even that time, there was a lot of lawyers involved. I was just going to express my frustration with hearing that story over and over again with all of these missing persons that we talk about. And it's always the case where it's like the police department will say, I'd love to love to figure this out, love to help. But I just got 15 cases today. Tomorrow's going to be the same. Tomorrow's going to be the same. It's just it's so frustrating because you're all human, you know. It, I, you, you have a, a, a level of empathy for families, and it's just the the crime doesn't stop. So, yeah, where do you prioritize something that is like textbook definition of not a crime scene? It's a car. It doesn't look like a crime scene. So where does that that can't fall like very high on the priority list, right from the right from the yeah. jump? Oh, it definitely doesn't fall high on the uh, priority list. And back to what you said before, there are investigators all over this country, and any investigator is going to tell you the same thing. They're getting assigned cases every day, and the majority of those cases are going to be solved pretty quickly. They're going to be an arrest made. It's going to be closed, majority of these cases. So you might get someone, a family, contacting you in a case. Can you please go? and knock on this gas station and speak to see if the employees saw anything. And that investigator is ready to do that. And he's ready to go out that day and do it. And in that morning, two people are found murdered in a car. So I don't think that investigator is going to go knock on that gas station door that day. So he has to investigate the other case. And that that is crime does not stop. Put it this way. Criminals are not stopping because there's there is less law enforcement working in this country right now. Criminals are not slowing down. They're not slowing down with their crimes. So police departments might cut back in their department on their manpower, but the criminals are not cutting back on their crimes they're committing. What else uh, could this case benefit from? Um, I believe that there are professionals who could search that lake. I think there are professional organizations who have done this for other cases throughout the country. If they'll get the mother's approval, they'll get Lori's approval, um, I don't believe you would need every other family member, but you got the mother. If that mo- mother will approve, I've spoken to her. They need to get to the Everglades and they need to dredge. I, when I say dredge, I'm not the expert. I don't, I've never done that. There are experts that can do it. I don't know how they do it and find that firearm or find evidence that he is it is in that lake because I firmly believe if this case is going to be closed, it's going to be his body is going to be found in that lake. So, there are underwater teams that could do it. It's been 11 years. You'd have to speak with the professionals if it's feasible at this time. And this is the Everglades. This is Florida, heat, all that. So there's a lot going on. But goes back to the firearm. That firearm ended up in the lake that could be found. That's not going anywhere. So basically, if there is an in Florida investigator that could take this case, someone who is like me, who volunteers or has a private eye company and willing to take this case i will give them all my information and i will lead them to you know what they need to do and i'll give my expertise on what needs to be done there's a lot of work to be done on this i mean you know jacob whatever problems was in his life and he was 23 years old and whatever happens he's not around anymore so whether it was suicide or foul play there's a concerned mother out there that is grieving for her son after all these years. And I've spoke to that mother. So if somebody could could help them along, 
I'm a New York City investigator, so we need someone there that can do this. So if there is an investigator in Florida who's heard this and they are willing to receive the information that you've compiled about Jacob and his disappearance, how would they go about reaching you? Yes, they could reach me out in my email at ferris.protection at gmail.com. You can put it in your show notes. They could reach out to private investigators for the missing. And um, if they're a licensed investigator, I said licensed investigator, you know, we can't have a online sleuth doing this. A licensed investigator, you know, I'll put them in contact with the mother in Texas and I will give them everything I have. I mean, I have a lot of information on this and there's more information that can be obtained that they'll have to do. But there are some clues that could be that could be found out. And this case can be solved. It's not the most solvable, but I do feel I know where to look. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.